Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Awesome. Cool. Uh, so now we're going to be, um, I'm going to be doing the Bible readings for today. So we've got two. The first one is from Psalm 103 and we're going to do the whole chapter. So I'll give you some time to look that up in your Bibles or your Bible app or there's some Bibles in the seats as well. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions transgressions from us as a father has compassion on his children so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him for he knows how we are formed he remembers that we are dust the life of mortals is like grass they flourish like a flower of the field the wind blows over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more but from everlasting to everlasting, the, love, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rule, rules over all. Praise the Lord, you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. And the second reading, Bible reading, is from Luke 15, verse 11 to 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. 
So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thanks very much for reading the word for us this morning. Izzy, good morning, everyone. I'm Simon. People call me Jacko around here. I'm lead pastor here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. It's lovely to see you all this morning. Um, And yeah, happy Father's Day uh, to those who have been fathers for a long time. Those who, perhaps this is your first Father's Day. Um, Looking at one right now, um, fairly obviously. um, There's a few around, which is really exciting. I was just saying to Izzy at the beginning of uh, when, when she first arrived this morning and I was here, we were just chatting a little bit and um, we, I find these days, you know, and I think uh, Elise mentioned it as well, these days are complicated days. They're days where we do want to celebrate the goodness of fatherhood and the men who have influenced us, past, present and, and things like that. Um, and that's a right and good thing to do. But it's also a day where um, it's mixed for others. It can be a day where it's challenging to remember and recall the father we once had or the father that was around but not really um, or the idea that some of us in the room probably would long to be fathers as well and so there's a it's a mixed day I'm always reminded of Paul's wonderful words in uh, Romans 15 where he calls God's people who've come to know the extraordinary grace and mercy of God uh, that we are called to rejoice with those who rejoice to mourn with those who mourn Um, I think one of these, whether it's Mother's Day or a day like today, we can rejoice with those who rejoice, who can reflect on fatherhood well and positively. We're also called to love everyone, including those who perhaps it's not so joyful. Um, So with that in mind, we are looking this morning um, at, again, I know we did this not so long ago, looking at the prodigal son, um, but we're going to look at this classic father text today as we just take a moment to think about the fatherhood of God. Um, I just want to put out there as well, we don't normally sort of celebrate Father's Days or Mother's Days here particularly, like we don't sort of stop everything and just zoom in on motherhood on Mother's Day or zoom in on fathers on Father's Day. Just so happens that last week we wrapped up a series that we were in for about four months in the book of Revelation, um, which was great. I loved it. 
don't know about you, um, but uh, I thought it was really encouraging. And we're just about to, next week, we're going to step into this new series called Books We Don't Read, uh, which is the 12 minor prophets. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm a bit concerned that I'm going to, you know, get into the new creation. We're going to be sort of gathering around the big table and I'm going to sort of sit down and there's this guy next to me and I'm going to be sitting there tucking into the aged wine and fine meats and Jesus is down there and he's going to say, oh, so what's your name? I'm going, I'm Jacko. What's your name? Obadiah. And I'm going to go, never read your book. (laughs) But... uh, let me get to that right now. I've got eternity to read it. No, um, there are some of those guys, Zephaniah, Obadiah, um, Malachi, the final and last Italian prophet, um, you know, all these guys who have excellent things to say, challenging things to say, um, but do remind us of the great promises of God, his faithfulness. But I expect that over the next 12 weeks, in what I'm sort of thinking will be a sort of an extended Advent series, right? So helping us kind of lead up to the coming of Jesus, what we celebrate at Christmas. It'll help us kind of get our hearts stirred for his coming again uh, to remind us of Christmas. So something of an extended um, Advent series. So if you want to get ahead, start reading the Minor Prophets, if you can find them in the Bible, that is. But uh, they're at the back end of the Old Testament. Anyway, um, we're looking today at this classic father text, the parable of the prodigal son, or perhaps more aptly titled the the parable of the prodigal God um, because of his just over-the-top generosity in receiving back his son. Before we do reflect on the fatherhood of God, I want you to turn to the person next to you and here's your challenge for today. I want you to tell the person next to you your favourite dad joke. It's Father's Day I want you to tell the person next to you your favourite dad joke. If you don't know what a dad joke is, ask the person next to you. They're generally not great jokes. Anyway, um, chat to the person next to you. I'll give you a minute or so. Share your favourite dad joke on this Father's Day. Do you reckon it would be okay to play the like the first like verse and then the the chorus of the song? So not the whole thing. So we just play it, yeah. and then I'll just say, "Can you stop?" All right. Is that does okay? It, does it begin? We haven't done a test. Okay. Should we just give it a go? Wing it. Yep. Yep. Uh, try it and this see. Right? Yeah.
running. But it's not on the screen. You don't have to have it on the screen. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You just listen to the audio. I'll let you muck around if it, do you reckon it, I don't know, do you reckon it will work? I'll, if, if we get it working, I'll give you a thumbs up, right. otherwise. Okay, okay, sure. <coughs> I think I'm on, I don't know, no. All right, everyone, I'll get you to come back, get you to come back. Because we're all friends and because we're all, you know, like we love each other. Anyone want to tell us their favorite dad joke? It's Father's Day. Let's celebrate fathers with anyone. Why do couples like to go to the gym? Tell us. They like to work out together. Okay. That could be a very good example of a dad joke. Any other one? How does NASA organize a party? They plan it. They plan it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I've shared this one before. How much does a roof cost? Nothing. It's on the house. <laughs> All right, let's stop there. Let's stop there. Um, and let's pray. Let's pray as we come to God's word this morning. Again, that may or may not have anything to do with what we're doing. Anyway, Heavenly Father, thank you uh, so much for your, your goodness to us. Lord, again, we praise you this morning that you are our good, good Father. We're reminded that um, in all of your ways, you use your power, you use your authority for good. And Father, thank you so much uh, for the way that you, in power, sent your Son into the world to lay down his life for us and for him to raise it up again, to live Afresh, and Father, we just praise you, Father, for those of us in the room who've been caught up in your great love. We pray this morning that your loving, your fatherly love for us, Father, would be fresh to us. And Father, we pray that having considered your fatherhood and your goodness, we, we all would be like you in the world for our good, the joy of our neighbour and your glory. And so we ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Well, it's Father's Day. Um, each year at this time, I'm not only reminded of how hard it is to buy a Father's Day present for my dad. He's pretty much got everything and can get anything he wants, so I find it really hard. Do I go to Bunnings, get a voucher? Do I buy another sporting biography for him? Do I go and get a, you know, another BBC kind of comedy series from 400 years ago? Um, do I just buy him the same six bottles of red wine that I bought him last year? And you know, he's probably gone through them. I don't know. What do you do? But I'm reminded, not only is it hard to buy a present for my dad, I'm also reminded that we have a pretty funny view of fatherhood in our country. So we make a special day for our fathers but it's kind of a little bit tongue-in-cheek, a bit of a tongue-in-cheek day of honour. Um, Australian entertainer, our most well-known Australian theologian, Colin Buchanan, wrote a song in honour of fathers called Dad Joke, with this chorus. Dad jokes are bad jokes, 
It's sad, but it's true. If you love your dad's jokes, well, then the joke is on you. Dad jokes are bad jokes. I'm sorry to say, they're a joke with the funny bit taken away. <laughs> Isn't that great? I thought we could listen to a little bit of it. Um, hopefully this works. <laughs> Coming over the loudspeakers. We'll cut it there. <laughs> you can listen to the rest of it. It's quite funny. Um, he recorded that some time ago on Thank God It's Friday on the ABC in Sydney. Anyway, play it for your dad, maybe if you see him at lunch today or something like that. It's kind of funny. Uh, when I first heard it, I kind of laughed along. Um, and as someone who is continually trying to tone down my humour to that perfect, inoffensive bland that is a dad joke, I kind of get it. I get the, the uh, what's going on. But it reminded me how we love our fathers, but it's mixed with a tinge of mockery and kind of cheek. I mean, you wouldn't do a song like that probably for Mother's Day. And the Simpsons wouldn't work, right, if Marge acted like Homer. And like all jokes that work, they work because at least there's a kernel of truth in there. While Father's Day, while Father's Day, fathers are loved, there's a tinge of disappointment. So Larry May says in his book, Rethinking Masculinity, quote, men are generally socialized in Western culture to be competent in the public world, but not in the private world. And that the training of men to excel outside of the home, to be the, the giants of industry and business, but pygmies at home, creates a bitter aftertaste of disappointment. A young man had a conversation in hospital with his father when he was dying, and his father, who was a perpetually busy man, um, who'd not spent much time with his children, um, his son expressed to him in the hospital that you know, some regret uh, that he hadn't spent more time together. The father expressed to his son you know, the reasons why he wasn't around very much. He said, I've, I've worked hard, I worked hard perpetually to put food on the table. And as he was talking, the son remained silent because in his heart, he was just yearning to say to his dad, he'd never been that hungry for food, but it was hungry for his father's presence. Why do I raise this? Because our mixed feelings about dads not only affect our human relationships, but will also affect our relationships with our maker, our heavenly father as well. So we've got all these grids, right, that have been formed in our minds that when we hear, that we meet, we hear or we mishear the concept of God the Father. Um, so strong are some of those grids that some have had this, have run away from God's self-revelation of Father. For some Christians, that's true, and 
Maybe for some of us here today, we've had appalling, or perhaps we've even had evil fathers, and that the prospect of thinking about God as father is actually quite a painful prospect. Fatherhood has a confused reputation in our society, and therefore it means God has a mixed reputation as well. So today, I just want us to think a bit about it and and maybe help overturn some of that confusion. So I want us to turn now to Luke 15, just for a little while this morning. I hope you have it open in front of you. Luke 15, uh, Phil actually helpfully opened this up for us a bunch of weeks ago now, but Phil actually showed us that um, the the key to understanding the the, the parable of the prodigal son is actually to, to glance down at Luke chapter 15, verses one and two, where we get the context for the parable. So chapter 15, uh, verse 1 and 2 of the parable, we read, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So we've got to, as we come to this section of God's word, picture the audience that is listening to Jesus tell the parable of the prodigal son. Again, Phil helpfully showed us back in July, there are actually three related parables through here, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son. But it's important to know that in listening to Jesus, you've got sinners and you've got tax collectors gathering around to hear Jesus, and then you've got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law kind of grumbling, muttering. Can you believe it? He eats with sinners. Of course, the sinners and the tax collectors, right? They were the the ones who were at a great distance from God. They disobeyed his laws. But the Pharisees, right, the teachers of the law, they were the conservative reformed movement in Judaism at the time. And the teachers of the law were the specialist academics. And their complaint was Jesus' open meals. How dare he eat with the sinners, the sort of the scum of the earth? So it's into this context that Jesus tells three parables, the third of which one we'll look at today. And just as there are three characters in the parable, two sons and a father, so there are, I think, three points that Jesus wants to drive home to both audiences. The sinners on the one hand, the Pharisees on the other. Jesus points, if you're a note taker, pretty simple. He wants to clarify who the sinner really is, point one. Point two, describe who God is really like. And thirdly, critique religion for what it really is. And so we're going to take those three in turn as we think together about the fatherhood of God. Firstly, Jesus clarifies the sinner. Clearly, the young son in this parable represents the sinners with whom Jesus is whining and dining with. As such, we have here a really interesting insight into how Jesus defines sin. Because obviously he thought long and hard about how do I convey who the sinner is? And so he comes up with this picture of a young son coming to his dad asking for the inheritance. So we read in verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. Verse 12, the younger son said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. This is dad, I want the inheritance, um, the inheritance that I should get when you're dead, I want it. Now, pretty insulting thing to say, so he divided the property between them, we're told. Which is something, by the way, no Middle Eastern father would have done, right? Works in a parable, not in real life. Anyway, verse 13, not long after that, 
the youngest son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. I think today we almost exclusively think of sin in terms of the wild living part of this, right? But that's really just a throwaway line at the end. The real offense of the younger son isn't the wild living, it's demanding the father's money, the father's stuff, without wanting anything to do with the father. Wanting everything dad has, just don't want anything to do with dad. It's an interesting insight into sin or the sinner. I want all the creator's resources, I just don't want the creator. I want to spend the resources of creation on myself and not give any thanks to the one who gave it to me. And I would say, if this is Jesus' picture of the sinner, it puts Australians right in the frame. Yeah? Are we not experts here in this country at enjoying the gifts of creation while ignoring the giver? We revel in the comforts of our time and place, the beauties, the abundance of food, the phenomenal resources, the holidays, the beaches. And yet as a culture, we rarely, if ever, give thanks to God. Rarely do we apologize for the misuse of things. Rarely do we seek God's guidance about how to use the good resources that we have. We as a culture, I would say, are world-class sinners. This is why so-called good people are still sinners in the eyes of Jesus. Because you can be utterly moral towards other human beings and completely prodigal in regards to God. Pursuing the comforts of creation while ignoring our creator. Please don't be fooled into thinking a moral person isn't a sinner based on Jesus' definition. Well, anyway, the young son in this parable, he comes to his senses. Do you see that in verse 17? I love that description, right? Coming to his senses. I mean, this is Jesus' picture of what it means to repent, to be off over here and then turn back to give thanks and honor God. That's, that's Jesus' picture, right? And Jesus describes it very interestingly as coming to your senses. I love it. Many people in our culture, including God's favorite atheist, Richard Dawkins, think you've got to leave all of your good sense at the door before you come into church. So what we have over at the coffee machine is a, a bucket where you unscrew your head, drop it into the bucket, come into church, woo praise Jesus, listen to some dude like me preach the Bible, and then it's all a bit crazy, and then you go back outside, and then you put your head back on and get back onto real life. Richard Dawkins has actually said that. In order to go to church, he reckons you should come to the seat, like sit down, unscrew your head, slip it under your seat, Carry on, put it back on, go home. That's what he says. I love how Jesus says here, he came to his senses. He saw what was real. And what was real is that there is a creator to whom we are called to give thanks to, upon whom we are utterly dependent. He came to his senses, verse 17, and then verse 18, he decided to go home. Now, it's at this point in the parable where I bet the sinners listening to Jesus, who knew they were the youngest son, thought to themselves, I wonder how the father's going to react to him coming home. 
I wonder what Jesus will say God's response is. And of course, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are listening to this as well must have thought at this moment as well, excellent, the father is going to come down like a ton of bricks on the sun. He is going to show some fatherly discipline and it's going to be wonderful to see. That's the setting. But not only does Jesus have an unsettling definition of sin, he has, as we pivot to point two, a striking picture and description of God. Uh, Look at verse 20 as we pivot to our second point. So the young son got up, went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Just notice how the father runs and embraces and kisses the son before he's even blurted out his apology. The son hasn't even said, we have done what we have ought to not, you know, not, to, ought not to have done, done some perfunctory confession. What's more, the father doesn't even let him finish his apology. This has to be deliberate from Jesus. Notice in verses 18 to 19 how the young son prepares his speech. He goes, I'm going home. And I'm going to prepare a speech. When I see my father, I'm going to say this. Have a look, verse 18. I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and say to him, here's the speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. That's the speech prepared. But then look what happens when the son starts to deliver it. Verse 21. The son said to him, here it comes, Line one, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. So far, so good. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So far, so good. But verse 22, but the father said to the servants, quick. See the line that's missing? He prepared to say, make me like one of your hired servants. And the father doesn't even let him say the line. He interrupts him. It's a pretty extraordinary account. No doubt deliberately crafted by Jesus. The father's already embraced him before the apology. The father doesn't even let him finish the apology before he's saying, quick, let's celebrate. It's a beautiful picture of God the father. And instead of placing restrictions on the son, he lavishes the good things of the property on the son. This whole episode reminds me of when I was a little bit younger and I discovered matches for the first time. It was a great day. It was a great day. I knew where they were kept. They were up in the cupboard in the kitchen, sort of technically out of reach, but I worked out how to get them. I think I was about, I don't know, I think I was about nine, maybe. Maybe about nine. Anyway, found the matches And I ran up to my room upstairs in our house up in the hills where I lived with mum and dad and my sister. And I remember I was like just fascinated with this little box of matches and I um, opened them up and I took one out and I struck it, not expecting it to come on light. You know what I mean? I mean, how ridiculous, right? I struck it and then like, you know, flame in front of my face. I freaked out. I didn't know what to do, right? I wasn't very, I'm still not very smart, but I didn't know what to do. And I, I just threw it into my waste paper basket, full of paper. And so the little flame on the end of my match was just like, uh, and then I, pff, like this flame just starts flying up. 
And I just like, I didn't, you know, I don't know about you, I don't have a fire extinguisher just like in my bedroom. So this flames is licking up everywhere. I'm going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what do we do? Help, help. Anyway, my mum comes charging up. Oh my gosh, what's she And my mum, oh my goodness, she just grabbed the on fire waste paper basket to run it to the bathroom upstairs to then, you know, douse the flames. In the process, really badly burnt her, um, her arm. And, uh, you know, I felt terrible. She felt in a lot of pain. My dad was still at work. Oh my goodness. And so, long story short, my mum, you know, got some cream and got herself sorted out a little bit and said, wait till your dad comes home. <laughs> and I don't know if you've been in that place before, but that's not a good place to be. That's a little not. Wait till your dad comes home. And then I remember for the rest of the afternoon, just kind of like hiding, like, like behind doors. Like, and then I heard the, you know, the familiar sound of my dad's car kind of around the corner and then roll up the driveway and I was like my you know bam 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 my heart's pounding my dad walks in and I'm, I'm still hiding behind the door my mum told him and then I heard these ominous words son come upstairs it was the longest walk up the stairs I've ever had and he sat me down he disciplined me for sure But he also said to me, I did pretty much the same thing when I was your age. I set the backyard on fire. And there was this connection point between myself and my dad. But you know, here's this younger son who's squandered everything. He comes back home, expecting to get the third degree, but meets his father, who just lavishes him with grace and kindness. Verse 22, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate how tempting it must have been for the father to kind of just say as he comes in, you know, came in, go to your room, say your prayers. We'll talk about this tomorrow. That's not what Jesus wants to say. Jesus wants to say that our heavenly Father is a running, embracing, gracious, merciful, forgiving, celebrating, benevolent parent. Most of us, right, we have a picture of God that is perhaps a combination of experiences and imagination and I hope for most of us a little bit of Bible thrown in. But sometimes, right, our experiences and our imagination take over our picture of God in our mind's eye. Well, I just want to say to us this morning, this is Jesus' picture of God. There is no more detailed picture of God that we have from the lips of Jesus. And Jesus wants us to think of God as a loving, embracing, running, forgiving, benevolent Father who uses his authority for good. But Jesus isn't finished. He's not content simply to define the sinner or re-describe God the Father. He's also keen to critique the religion of his opponents. That's why the older son is in the parable. Um, This is pivoting to point three, Jesus' critique of religion. The parable, I reckon you'd agree, right? The parable of the lost son would still work if it was just about the younger son, right? 
Um, the lost son comes home, the father embraces him, what lost is found, praise God, let's eat, the mercy of God is great, let's revel in God's forgiveness. However, Jesus deliberately places the older son in the parable because he knows he has sinners and Pharisees in the audience. And clearly the older son represents the Pharisees. And as such, it's a really good insight into how Jesus critiques religion. Again, no doubt Jesus has thought long and hard about describing sin with regards to the younger son, but he also thinks hard about describing how God is in terms of father, and I think he thinks long and hard about here how to describe and critique religion. So verse 25, follow with me. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28, the oldest brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could sell, even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. By his own confession, verse 29, this older son has adopted the stance of a slave to a master, not a son to a father. All these years, see, I've been slaving for you. That's his perspective. That's what religion will do. It'll lock you up in a rules-based mentality where God is the master and we are but slaves. And as a result, this older son has a really stunted grasp of the Father's generosity and grace and mercy towards him. See verse 29, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate. He's convinced the Father has withheld everything off the property from him. You've never even given me a young goat. And yet, and yet, you give the dodgy brother my dodgy brother, a fattened calf. Now it's important to note, right, this is Jesus telling a story. This isn't truth. This is the son's perspective and it's what religion does to your mind because how does the father reply in verse 31? My son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. There's the clue. The young goat was yours. The fattened calf was yours. The, the robe was already yours. The ring, the sandals, it was already all yours. But the oldest son just can't see it. His perspective was that the father was a sting. That's what religion will do to you. Makes you a slave, makes God seem mean and stingy and miserly and withholding of grace. And as a result, of course, your attitude to the sinful world around you is going to be that of anger, right? That's exactly what we get in verse 28. He hears the partying, he learns what's happening, and we're told the other brother became what? Angry. Now, this emotional outburst is a picture, isn't it, of what the Pharisees were doing in the opening line of the chapter. The Pharisees listening, what do they say? They muttered to themselves. The Greek word is the word gonguzo. Can you say that with me? Gonguzo. Drop that at Father's Day sometime today. Grumbling. They were grumbling. 
In a way, this oldest son, right, is just as far away from the father at an emotional and psychological level. He's on the property, but his heart's a million miles away. The Pharisee is as distant from God as the sinner is distant from God. But what I find remarkable is that God is tender to both. He's tender to both. To the sinner, the father's on the lookout, ready to receive, ready to embrace, ready to forgive, to show mercy. But notice to the religious grumpy type, the gonguzo type, the father pleads, verse 28, says, begs him, come inside, join the celebration. I love at that point how Jesus' critique is still tender. He doesn't thump the Pharisee over the head. He pleads with him, come, rest in my mercy and extend that same mercy to others. So I just want to conclude this morning, brothers and sisters and friends, by saying, may we all at City Light Church North Adelaide know the Father's heart you know, first to ourselves, so that we might rest in his warm embrace and forgiveness for which our Lord died. I heard a lovely um, definition of uh, grace the other day by a guy named Nijay Gupta. Um, Nijay Gupta is a theologian and a writer over in the States. Um, he's written a book, actually, um, called, it's something like 15 words, basically, that we use often in church, which we perhaps have lost the real heart and meaning of, or we, he calls it Christianese, so he kind of debunks the Christianese in this book. I'll find out the title and I'll share it with you somehow, but Nijay Gupta, um, in this, I'll paraphrase him, but in this book, he sort of describes grace uh, as God's overwhelming disposition to simply spoil his creatures. I love that. I love that. So I just want to remind ourselves this morning, let's, let's rest in God's spoiling over-the-top grace and his mercy and find rest in that. And knowing that, secondly, may we know the Father's heart as we extend that same grace and mercy to other people. So not only would we know in our hearts that God is a running, embracing, gracious, forgiving, benevolent Father, but that we'd also be able to convey that same picture to the world and the people around us who are confused and in desperate need to know him. Should we pray together? Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would write this word on our hearts. Father, that we would know your grace and your mercy and find rest in it. Father, thank you that this picture we have of you, Father, in this part of your word is, is a picture of a father who, who loves his people, who loves his sons and daughters. Father, we praise you for the fact that you have come running into the world in the person of your son. 
You've embraced us through the open arms of your son on the cross. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Father, we pray that you would help us to convey this grace and mercy to all around us. And on this Father's Day, we pray for those in the room who are fathers. We pray that you'd help all of us fathers to be more like you. But beyond that, Father, I pray that all of us would be more like you, who'd use the power you've given us for good. So, Father, do help us. Help us to convey your grace, convey your mercy to a needy, confused world, and at all times help us to rest in it. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.